Welcome to Peeling the Onion Podcast with Cheryl Passwater and Nancy Campbell, where we have real conversations about what it takes to dive deep into the unique journey of healing. Health is not a win-lose game. Join us and our amazing guests to explore the layers of physical, mental, and spiritual health. So grab a drink, go for a walk, get cozy, and let's peel the onion. Today on Peeling the Onion Podcast, we have Meg Ricci. She's an integrative women's health practitioner with 28 years of clinical experience. She's practiced in New York City for nearly two decades and currently resides in Atlanta, Georgia. While currently providing telehealth services for women around the country, Meg's unique East meets West approach has helped countless women overcome a vast range of hormonal imbalances, including PCOS, infertility, PMS, weight issues, digestive orders, anxiety, and depression. She has extensive experience and studies, including training in Western Foundation, functional medicine, nutrition, Chinese medicine, and acupuncture, including health practices in the Brazilian rainforest and Vietnam. To add to this, guys, not only is Meg um, hella excited about PCOS, polycystic ovarian um, syndrome, um, she and I go way, way back um, on the healing world and journey. She was actually my first practitioner, uh, which I talk about a little bit in this episode. But we talk a lot today about PCOS, infertility, everything um, that we need to know, both as ladies, but also for the guys. While they don't suffer with PCOS, um, a lot of what we talk about today also pertains to them. So this is a juicy, lovely episode, and we hope you enjoy it today on Peeling the Onion. We are on, guys, with Meg Ricci today. Um, I have to say, I'm really excited to have Meg on. Um, I have been on her podcast, The Hormone Lifestyle Zone, um, but I've also known Meg for, what, about 17, yeah. 18 year, mm, 20 yeah, years We're, at we're this getting point. up there a love fest. That's a long time. I love yes, it. Yes, it is. A little love fest. Yeah. No, I say I made Meg when I was mm. 29. So 15 years. Just a little baby coming into her 30s. Look at that little baby Cheryl. <laughs> I know. Little baby Cheryl coming into her 30s, but a very sick yeah. little baby Cheryl. Green like Kermit the Frog. Mm. Um, I was so sick. I was having asthma attacks. I was a hot <laughs> freaking mess. And actually, Meg was my first mm. practitioner. Um, so I'm excited to have her here. I always say Meg saved my life yeah. um, and is a big component of actually how... I've ended yeah. up being a practitioner. You know, I was not working in health and wellness um, when I started out on my journey. I was working um, in the art world still. Um, and so I'm excited um, that we have been in touch all these years and also that you're here today, Meg. So thank you and welcome to Peeling the Onion I love Podcast. that. It's always me going, welcome to the Hormone Lifestyle Zone. <laughs> so <laughs> I've almost done that. I've welcome almost done that on another podcast. But Cheryl and... <laughs> It, uh, in your sultry there voice, you go. and Nancy. Yes. So it's it's so lovely to be here. We had like a pre-discussion on everything, and uh, I want to get back to that because you know today's topic is is PCOS, and um, yeah, I've you know I've been in practice for twenty eight years, and can I share how I kind of got into the PCOS? Please, realm? I've been I want to hear more. Please. Absolutely. You know, it, it's it's funny. Well, Cheryl, you and I share a similar background. I have a BFA. So mm. do you. And yeah. I was an art. 
And yeah. an MFA, yeah. What, what is that? You have a BA. Oh, and, and an, an MFA, MFA yeah, and an MA. I bow to you because that's that's <laughs> yeah. another a level which I did not do. But we have that 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 background of of you know the arts, and I feel I was an art director for about fifteen years. Transitioned into becoming an acupuncturist uh, in my mid thirties, and I love that rich background because it's allowed me to look at things from very different perspectives. I don't look just at the front door. I look through the windows. I go mm. through the back door. I go through the chimney yeah. to get a uh, an idea of what are the root causes creating issues for women. So I started, as I said, you know, uh, back in, in the late 90s. And um, in my first five years of, of doing acupuncture, I was getting a lot of referrals from uh, personal trainers and dancers, because my partner at the time was in the world of modern dance, always Broadway dance companies, all these dancers were coming to see me, and fitness people. And I started actually getting a wave of women mm. from the, the both groups that were a wave of just being recommended to me to help them try to get pregnant. They had failed IVF cycles and mm. difficulty, and they've been trying for years, and acupuncture helped. And I knew a little bit about nutrition then. And I knew, you know, I did some herbs. But I started seeing a pattern, and the pattern was this— Women with non-related fertility issues were sharing the same lifestyle markers as women in the throes of fertility challenges. Mm. So they were both skipping meals, maybe not getting enough protein, getting enough sleep, a lot of stress, multitasking, burnout, uh, gut issues. And I thought, hmm, these women with the non-fertility issues that are coming to me for headaches and cramps and PMS and other things and backaches, they're going to end up in my office in a few years struggling with their fertility. And that's actually what I started to see happening. So I saw, ah, this is interesting. Modern day stress is an unintentional form of birth control for so many women. Mm. And it's the biggest mm. endocrine disruptor. Everything is stress. Wait, 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 wait stop. But you have to say that again. Say it again. Say it again. Modern day stress. Modern day stress is an unintentional form of birth control. Oof. I coined that phrase. Oof. And the biggest endocrine disruptor for women. God, I could cry right now. Oh. Yes. Amen. Good Lord. Oh, wow. Oh. People, write that down. <laughs> write it down. Echo her words. Stress. Stress. I tell all my clients, stress is the destroyer yeah. Yeah. of everything. Yeah. Oof. Aww. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Aww. honey, Woo. I hit home. Good. Well, hopefully this will fill your soul with uh, joy as we, we continue speaking. Yeah. But what I started also seeing was something called PCOS. And I didn't know what it was. I mean, I kind of knew these women were, you know, um, they weren't ovulating. Uh, they had cystic ovaries. Mm -hmm. A lot of the women at the time that were coming to see me were seeing PCOS gynecologist or a specialist, and they were ending up in my office. And um, I started learning about insulin resistance. And what actually happened is that over the years, I started seeing more and more people, but I saw a tremendous influx when I moved to Charleston, South Carolina. I was there mm. uh, for about seven years, and I treated a lot of kids at the College of Charleston. I yeah. love that. I, I love working uh, with women in their teens and their 20s. I love working with everyone. But when you get someone in their teens and 20s, you can set them up on a path. Yeah, yeah. That can, 
not just with PCOS, but with PCOS, they have PCOS, but you silence their symptoms. Mm. You you put them on a path, a lifestyle protocol, and, and we'll go into that, of so they don't, so they can start ovulating and have regular cycles and they're not met manifesting cardiovascular issues and metabolic issues and fatty liver. These are the things that go on. Mm -hmm. So getting back to this, what happened, started seeing a lot of PCOS in Charleston and got hit really hard with it during COVID. Mm -hmm. I just started working, um, working, uh, doing a lot of remote and just started seeing more and more. And a lot of these women that started working with me, because right now I'm, I'm completely virtual, a lot of women that came to see me had no idea they had PCOS. Mm. Mm -hmm. And right now, over 50%, 70% of women go undiagnosed. And I've seen women now 5, 10, 15 years before they get a diagnosis. Mm. Wow. And as it, I, you know. We, um, yeah. No, and I think we need to do a favor. I think one thing that would be important today, Meg, mm -hmm. is to make sure that we're sort of defining things and describing I, I it want, with symptoms. And I think, yeah. And yeah. I want to go into what that is. Because I think, so. well, I also want to mention, um, yeah, please. I want to say to everybody before we get started, Meg is looking at this a little outside of the box than what your gynecologist may be talking to you about. So if you right. come to this conversation and you either diagnosed with PCOS or you're having some of these symptoms, just keep in mind, like we are not here to diagnose anyone. You, mm -hmm. you still need to get some medical advice from your doctor, but just take some of these symptoms and like into consideration and think about how you want to approach your next steps. Anyway, that's our PSA for now. But Meg, tell us more about well, PCOS from your yeah. lens. So PCOS the um, is the best way to describe PCOS is women with PCOS have non-ovulatory cycles, mm -hmm. many of them. It's an elevation of androgens. That's the real hallmark for PCOS. Okay. And insulin resistance. Right. Some women don't have insulin resistance. I think they do. You have women with PCOS. The classic type is someone who's very overweight. Mm -hmm. They're struggling, you know, getting their BMI down. I have other women with polycystic ovarian syndrome. They're very, very lean. So metaphorically mm -hmm. and, and, and physically, mm -hmm. PCOS comes in all shapes and sizes. And polycystic ovarian syndrome, it's a syndrome because you have symptoms along a spectrum. Yeah. So the type of symptoms that you see and ovulatory cycles. Women are not ovulating on a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. I have women, they get their period every, you know, classic is if you get your period 35 days plus, there's a good chance that you have PCOS. Mm -hmm. So okay. your cycles are 35. What I see, women getting their period six weeks, two months, four months, every six months, once a year. Right. And they're, they're all over the place. I have women because... Um, they have heavy bleeding with PCOS mm -hmm. and because that, that estrogen that they're producing at the first half of their cycle is not being met by progesterone, which is signaled when you ovulate. So they have this continuous mm. bleeding. And I'll go into that more. So you don't okay. have a balance of, of, of hormones. So what you see in insulin um, with PCOS, you will see um, irregular cycles, mm -hmm. acne. You may see facial hair. Mm -hmm. You may see thinning of hair or male pattern baldness on your head, you have the most difficult time losing weight. You just struggle with your weight. I see a lot of anxiety. Mm. I see depression. Mm -hmm. I see leaky guts. 
I see digestive issues and 99 point, and I want to point that, that's what I see, 99.9% of people. But what you're really seeing are the acne, the weight, the elevated androgens. Mm -hmm. We see insulin resistance. We may see, um, you know, a real marker that we should be testing for is you might do a fasting glucose and a fasting insulin and an A1C. And if your A1C is above five, I like an optimal A1C of 4.8, but mm. when you have a higher A1C, what do you see with insulin resistance, Cheryl? Levels. Uh, yeah. Level-wise? In your practice. Um, um, I am seeing a lot of insulin resistance. I mean, just general yeah. metabolic stuff. But, you know, I tell anybody, like, if you're, you're veering into the, you know— 5.0 to 5.6 range, we need to be yeah, concerned. And that's <laughs> um, very concerned. And, for, and, and, and um, according to regular testing, it's not an issue. I had a client the other day. She right, was like 5.5. Exactly. And her doctor's like, ah, you don't have a problem. I'm like, you're fine. You don't, you do have a problem. You're not getting a yeah. period. I want to get you down to like 4.8. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. I think I was, was I telling you or I was telling another practitioner friend recently, <laughs> Meg, that this year alone in 2023, I have caught eight cases of insulin resistance with my own clients mm -hmm. who are new clients and their doctors had flagged them all away yeah. and said, you're fine. I know. And including two of them mm, with prediabetes. Yeah. It's scary. They've, they've crossed that line even further and they're pre-diabetic, and they're on the edge. Um, and I'm like, we got to make some changes. So, and and also part of that being, um, just to add to this, guys, just general stress, emotional stress, work stress, dietary stress. Do you have co-infections? That is stress. There's a lot of things that cause stress in the body. But like, again, coming back to that stress so, dynamic. So I think please, it's important um, for women to understand what is insulin resistance? So insulin yeah. resistance is when the cells become numb, resistant to incoming insulin that helps to, uh, to usher glucose into your cells to create energy. So what happens is what we see in PCOS is that the pancreas is starting to pr produce more progest um, produce more insulin to get the cells to respond. And because of these increased levels of insulin, it drives the ovaries to produce excess androgens, mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and which interferes, which keeps you a woman from preventing ovulation. And I look at insulin resistance in PCOS. I mean, really what we need to be looking at is PCOS is insulin resistance of the ovaries. Mm. And mm -hmm. I don't think that's always going to show up in blood testing. That's what's going on. That mm -hmm. elevated insulin drives the ovaries, produce estrogen, halts ovulation. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what happens mm -hmm. is you have this, you know, at the beginning of your cycle, you have the LH hormone and it's signaling to the ovaries, it's time to release an ovary. Mm -hmm. I mean, an ovary. That would be scary. <laughs> it's time to release. <laughs> really scary. Incoming. Incoming. <laughs> <laughs> But it's time to release a follicle. Mm -hmm. But what happens is that there is this, and this is classic symptom in PCOS. I look at the ratio between FSH and LH. The luteal um, luteinizing hormone is, is screaming at the ovary, you've got to ovulate, and it doesn't. Mm. 
So what I see, so what happens is you have all this estrogen that's being, you know, peaked in the first half of your cycle, your follicular phase. And if it doesn't release a follicle, that corpus luteum starts to signal the production of progesterone. Progesterone meets wow. estrogen. It balances her. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I love estrogen. She's very dramatic. Mm-hmm. She she's a little crazy. Yeah. She's, you know, think about it. She or you know that je ne sais quoi that we have as women. It's estrogen. Yeah. But estrogen can also create excess bleeding. Excess estrogen can contribute to fibroids and polyps and endometriosis. We want that to be met with progesterone because it balances estrogen. And then what happens is, you know, you have that balancing. But progesterone is also very soothing. It's Mm. very calming. Mm -hmm. So what happens with a lot of women with PCOS, they have a lot of anxiety. Mm. Because they're never being, they're never, it's never, progesterone is what balances estrogen and has a very soothing effect. It impacts GABA. It impacts uh, uh, serotonin influence on your neurotransmitters. Mm-hmm. So can we back up a minute real quick? Yeah, sure. So we have the first phase of our cycle. This the first phase of our cycle occurs after our period. So our period sort of, well, actually, correct me. Our cycle starts with day one of our period or our cycle? St- the first day you bleed is, is the first the day of your cycle. Your cycle. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Thank you. I knew I knew that, but I wanted to make sure. And then, mm-hmm. And then you move into your ovulation phase. If we have yeah. PCOS, we are not ovulating. So we miss, an, at the ovulatory phase, this is just a rehash for everybody who's not sure of their own cycle, including myself. It, after the ov- after the follicle is released from the mm-hmm. ovary, ovulation, mm-hmm. that's when progesterone starts to ramp right. up. And we should have mm-hmm. a lot of progesterone leading up to our cycle, the second half of mm-hmm. our cycle, Yes, the luteal yes, phase, the luteal leading phase. up, to, right, mm-hmm. because it's there to put, hold a potential pregnancy. Exactly. And progesterone helps to nurture and grow and help contain things in in the uterus. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so, because most of us honestly don't know how this works. And so I think it's really important for, for, for everybody to have a rehash. Um, <laughs> well, what happens we're is you, you, to you talk so much about... So, so think cycle. of it this way. We'll make it really simple. Yep. I'm going to make it up. Make believe I'm talking about a 28-day cycle. Yep. Day one through 14 leads up to ovulation. Yep. We'll call it the, the follicular phase. Mm-hmm. There is a window in there just to let people know, you know, you, you're good. most women, let's say they will ovulate. I'm making this up. They're going to ovulate somewhere. I'm going to say they're going to ovulate around day 14. Yep. That is right so, smack dab in the middle, but it's not yeah. always so that way, everybody, just so you but, know. But we just make it simple. Yep. So just, I'm just going to, little sidebar here. Mm-hmm. You can get pregnant if you have sex with your partner mm-hmm. five days prior to ovulation. Yes. Sperm, because that sperm, sperm can, can live inside you. Yeah. That sperm can, you know, go up, you know, through the cervix, and into the fallopian tube, and we can have, and have a, a little party, party. In there. <laughs> yeah. and have a little cocktail party. <laughs> and nine months later, we give we give Cheers. birth to Susie or, or Joey. Yeah. So, um, but I always say when I work with women that have PCOS, you can get pregnant, you can ovulate while we're working together. And I have women usually wait, and I want to, and and a few months before they try to get pregnant, or a little longer. But the point being, first cycle leads up to ovulation. You also get this wonderful uh, 
your, your estrogen levels and your testosterone levels start to rise. Your mojo starts to kick in. You're starting to feel this air of confidence. This is what happens when, you don't, when you're not on the pill. You're feeling really, really good. And your libido heightens around the top, a type of ovulation, time of ovulation, because there's a potential of you getting, of, of, of having a baby. So day, four, day 14, 15, day 14, let's say you ovulate. And what happens is the corp, that little follicle releases the one big one. You have a cluster of them that come to the top of the, uh, at the head of the ovary, and I'm simplifying this. And the big kahuna is the one, that special one that grows and, and is the one that is released. And the corpus luteum around that follicle starts to signal the production of progesterone. And progesterone is there to hold a potential pregnancy. If you do not get pregnant, you will shed around day on, on uh, day 29 because your cycle is from the first day you bleed until the last day you bleed. But what happens for women that, uh, that have PCOS, you're not ovulating. You have some women, not all women with PCOS have cystic ovaries. And, and PCOS, they, they have to change the term not everybody has cystic ovaries. Mm -hmm. It's like a pearl-like formation. It's very classic on the ovary. It's a, because there's that heightened stimulation of the luteinizing hormone that's just trying to tell these little little pookers follicles to release, and they can't. Mm. So you, and which is again, I want to reiterate, insulin resistance elevates testosterone production. Insulin resistance. It elevates testosterone production of the ovary, inhibiting you from ovulating. Mm. Okay. So we want to drive down those androgens. Testosterone is the leading androgen for PCOS, facial hair. Yeah. Testosterone's great. Right. But when it's in excess, it can cause problems. Yeah. So... Yeah. So androgens, everybody are hormones. And, you know, we obviously have a collection of hormones in our body and there are lots of ways that we, that we can regulate androgens, um, you know, which we can talk about more, I think. Yeah. I mean, androgens, you know, there's, estrogen is a good hormone. It's a beautiful hormone. Yes. But when it's out of balance, it can cause issues. Mm -hmm. Testosterone is a lovely hormone, but when it's in, in balance, you, you're going to see irregular cycles, facial hair. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, uh, male pattern, you know, hair, male pattern, uh, you know, difficulty getting pregnant, mm -hmm. but it also sets you up for metabolic issues. Yeah. And part of the, you know, and part of that is if a woman has, and I, I think we'll segue into this. If when I work with women that have insulin resistance and they want to have children mm. and they have elevated androgens, I want to make sure that, that before they go into their next pregnancy, that they, their blood sugar, their glucose, their A1C is amazing. And they've driven down androgens because the issues that I see, and I'm, I'm going to jump a little, is that if women have not cleared those androgens, then they're going to expose their baby to excess androgens. And also women, when they go into the first trimester, their insulin levels go up 30%. It's, it's not a pathology. It's physiology. You're, you're, mm -hmm. you're trying to nurture mm -hmm. a growing baby. But if that insulin resistance is not addressed, you, you, this woman is exposing her child to elevated levels of in, um, insulin. We see 
gestational diabetes. And this is interesting. It just doesn't go on for women with PCOS. It's women that, you know, if women are going into a pregnancy with some insulin resistance, they can have, they're going to be more at risk for, for other complications. So one of the things that I wanted to um, stress, and I, and I do this, I, I have a program called the PCOS Revolution, and mm. I do a program for six months helping women balance their hormones. Because a lot of women that come to me with PCOS, they've been struggling with it 5, 10, 15 years. Some of these women, they want to get pregnant now or they want to get pregnant down the road. They're having difficulties. They've had failed IVF cycles. So the things that I look at with PCOS, what, you know, we look at this woman has insulin resistance. This is classic. Elevated androgens, non-ovulatory cycle. So what, so what is, what conventional medicine does, what allopathic medicine does, which is kind of strange. So when these women are not trying to get pregnant, they are put on a birth control pill so they can have a monthly bleed. Mm. But it's kind of counterintuitive because what they are actually experiencing is a chemical bleed. It's called a withdrawal bleed. They're right. not ovulating. Right. So it's counterintuitive because what you want to do with PCOS is help women ovulate. So I had a client, I've had a few clients where this has happened, and one client, I think it was a couple of years ago, and she called me crying. She's like, and she came into my office and I said, you know, love, pretty sure you got PCOS. You're having irregular cycles. You have acne. And she was lean. And I, I, I just knew she, you know, she, she was a lean PCOS. She, she came back. She said, I saw my doctor. I have cysts on my ovaries, elevated testosterone. And um, I have PCOS. And he wants to put me on the pill and, and give me spironolactone, which they use um, for acne. It's actually a, uh, med it's a medication used for hypertension. Or it's, yeah, you, you make can't, this up. you know, it's, <laughs> it's all, like, yeah, 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 you can't make it so, up. So, I mean, it's, well. a, it's, it's a type of blood pressure medication. That's, it's a diuretic. So anyway, she called me and because he said, well, and don't worry when you want to get pregnant, we will just, you know, we'll, we'll either do Clomid or some type of, you know, medication to help you ovulate. And if that doesn't work, I'm not making this up. We'll just go to IVF. You have no worries. She called me hysterical. And I said to her, sweetheart, I can help you regulate your cycle. That is not the path you have to go down. She didn't go on the pill. We, I made sure she immediately stopped spironolactone. And guess what happened? She got her period. She started getting a regular period in a few months. And she no longer had acne. And she still has a regular cycle. So there's a lot that, that, that can be done. But, um, but what, so that is conventional treatment. It, it doesn't, because the whole idea, but this is, you know, I, I don't want to start trashing, uh, you know, conventional medicine because I just, it is not, they treat signs and symptoms and prescribe. And I think what would be great, and I have, a, I, I love, I have a gynecologist here and I love her. She refers clients to me here in Atlanta because she knows that there's more to PCOS than birth control. And um, I've been, you know, and I work with other hormonal issues too. But the point I want to make, it is not the answer. So, and I want to drop back on this. Why do women have insulin resistance? Why do some women have insulin resistance and get cystic ovaries? 
Why do some women have insulin resistance and start gaining all this weight and get facial hair and acne and acne on their back? Where other women are eating the same way they are, even crappier foods, they still get regular periods. They probably have a lot of cramps and other issues, but they don't have the insulin resistance. They don't have, I'm going to say, you know, insulin resistant ovaries where they're producing a lot of androgens. So what, what is triggering these women? I believe it starts in utero. I believe that babies, a, a woman that has been diagnosed with PCOS, and a lot of them are diagnosed at a very young age and put on the pill by the age of 15, which I think is insane. These women during utero development are either exposed to elevated levels of in insulin, androgens, environmental chemicals, BPAs, glyphosate, heavy metals, and mycotoxins. And what this does during utero development, it disrupts their hormone signaling. It can set these women up in life epigenetically because of environmental factors. There is no gene for PCOS. You do not have a gene. You can be predisposed. Let me just, so you have this predisposition can we turn this off? Absolutely. But any woman that has PCOS, you, it's a lifelong lifestyle path that you live to make sure you don't have insulin resistance, to make sure later on, I do want to tie this in, Cheryl, I want to help women get pregnant, but I think later on, I want to make sure that you're ovulating every month so you don't have elevated levels of estrogen. So you're clearing these estrogens. So you're not at risk for estrogen-related cancers. So you're not at risk for cardiovascular issues, dementia, Alzheimer's. I mean, metabolic issues and fatty liver. Nobody, we don't talk enough about fatty liver. So many women with PCOS are on the path to non-alcoholic fatty liver because nobody addressed the underlying issues. And part of the underlying issue is also looking at diet. And 99.9% .9 of the women I work with have a leaky gut, dysbiosis, parasites, mycotoxins. Women with PCOS, this is studies show this, women with PCOS do not clear heavy metals and environmental metal, uh, chemicals in the same way as women that do not have PCOS. And how do I know? I see the labs. It's unbelievable. I have a woman. We're cleaning up her gut. She came back to me. We were working for a few months, came back after eight months. And she's like, I got to work with you. I can't. My weight isn't budging. Um, she's one of those PCOS where she bleeds for like three weeks. So she'll have these long bleeds. Because she's not ovulating, she's not being met with progesterone, which balances estrogen so you don't get those heavy bleeds. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. I think you really nailed that on the head. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, there we do, we, and you know, it's like, we're seeing such a decline in fertility and, you know, even men and testosterone, you know, we're having, seeing more and more. I mean, I can count on two hands, the amount of my girlfriends who are doing IVF and needing, you know, bigger interventions to go through pregnancy. And it's because nobody's having these conversations in the, I guess, mainstream of life or however we, we want to call this. And, you know, I think it's really important just to highlight, like, 
you know, nobody has the conversations, I think, with us sometimes as women, um, especially, you know, at the childbearing age of like prepping your body and getting yourself ready for childbirth. And yeah, back in the day, you know, women didn't need to worry about that as much because they weren't being exposed like it's we are so being exposed different. today. I mean, Cheryl, I don't know if you, you know so this. Different. There was a study, and Nancy, <clears throat> excuse me, the Environmental Working Group did a study. I think it was in 2005 and then or 2005 and 2009 or nine in 2011. And they drew blood on two groups of umbilical cords, 10, 10 women each. And they found yeah. at that time, like, I don't know, 260 toxins. And they were like 180 are, you know, uh, th- this are being, you know, passed along in in utero, you know, unintentionally through to, from their moms to their babies. If, oh, I could go so many places with this. That number has probably tripled. Tripled. And it's the same thing. And I'm going to tie this in. I always say to women, your baby is my client. I want to reduce any risk for any potential cancer, any uh, neurological, uh, cognitive issues, ADHD, ADD. I mean, all these things are on the rise. It's not genes. It's environmental yeah. exposure. So yeah. all of us, and, and I, I want you to chime in, I, I, my philosophy is any woman trying to get pregnant start a preconception program one year prior. And also any woman trying to get pregnant that doesn't even have PCOS, your follicles go on a 90-day journey. I'm going to say 120. You want to clear out any chemicals. And this also includes your partner. He's 50% of that little baby. We never talk. And men that have insulin resistance are contributing to the issue with a child. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for saying that. And I I think, you know, I think it's important for us just to really fast say, like, this is not to point the finger at our mothers and be like, you did a crap job. I would never do that. (laughs) By any means. I know. None of us, none of us would. But I think we, we're seeing such an escalation. We're seeing it in kids. I know I'm getting more teens and kids, even in my own practice. You know, I had a a friend from childhood recently reach out to me and you know, and he works in a more allopathic medicine mm-hmm. world. And he was like, hey, my daughter, she's 12 years old. Her periods are like insane. Mm-hmm. We're seeing she's getting acne. We're seeing mm-hmm. all this stuff. Oh. And he was like, I don't, this isn't no. normal. And he was like, do you can, he's like, the doctor wants to put her on birth control at 12 years old. I know. Yeah. And he was like, obviously we're not no. okay with that. But he was like, do you have thoughts? And, you know, we were able to have a wonderful conversation about, you know, what does this look like? And, you know, and one of the first things I said, I was like, start with her diet. Let's clean up this this business. Get her off dairy. Get her off gluten. Let's start looking at what kind of nutrients is she bringing in? Is there optimal protein? And like, you know, newsflash, you need good protein, guys. You need to be able to digest your B vitamins, have good stomach acid in order to even make progesterone. Any hormone. The foundation for your hormones starts in the gut. Yeah. yeah. Everything is the gut, yep. the microbiome. It's all the gut. Right. Yeah. So that is a, it is a yeah. great way. I love that. I love having this conversation with you women. <laughs> Food is everything. We can change so much. And the big issue, the biggest endocrine, endocrine disruptor for teenagers, cosmetics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we don't talk about 
the detergents. We don't talk about the perfumes. We don't talk about the shampoos. Oh we don't talk yeah. about the conditioners, the hair products, the, you know, the just being in schools, you know, everything. And and I think part of it, um, part of the biggest challenge, obviously, is is, you know, I think we're all just like wanting to just like getting from day to day. Um, so many parents are just trying to choose their battles, <laughs> right? And it, it, I mean, I'm, I'm, and I'm thinking about like the day-to-day life here. You can make mm-hmm. simple adjustments. I mean, obviously starting with laundry detergent, most teenagers are not going to argue with you about what, what their clothes mm-hmm. smell like. Um, you can start to educate your kid early on. I think the hard part um, is just that social pressure and that, you know, at 12, 13, 14, these are critical years in a little, like a young girl's development. And, um, you could tell a lot, like, as in your, your friend's, uh, daughter, you know, yeah. what she was exposed to early on. Right. Cause I mean, I, I think we don't also understand like what's going on between the, you know, from, I, I would imagine most people don't think about their daughter or son's endocrine life until the age of 11 or 12. And, and I, I yeah, right. and, and I, I feel that what I'm trying to emphasize, yeah. and it just makes it clearer since I've been on a few podcasts about this recently, it is essential for women to clean up their diet and their lifestyle yeah. for one year prior because it, preconception is really about a woman giving birth to herself. It's a time that she prepares, she's being a mother, this is mother prep time. It really right. is. Right. It's having women starting to cook, not doing takeout, doing infrared saunas. Infrared sauna is a fabulous way to detox heavy metals and chemicals. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, getting more cruciferous vegetables in to get rid of those nasty estrogen metabolites. Estrogen's great, but it's got some funky metabolites. And we want to make sure that the liver is able to, you know, excrete those metabolites. I'm I'm jumping a bit. There is a lot that we can do. I just try to educate women, Mm -hmm. giving them the information that they need to make better choices. But again, I've been doing infertility for like 25 years. And I am, I get really upset sometimes. (laughs) I work with women and I'm like, please, please, please don't get pregnant. If you can, let's wait, let's wait five, six months. And then they get pregnant, some of them a few months later. And I always, I cross my fingers um, because I really want them to detox. It takes a few months to detox. You can't do like, you know, one of these juice cleanses for a week or two and go, I've just detoxed. No, mm-hmm. you know, we've, we've got to look at ways to open up drainage. Right. Well, and as chemicals have become so much more, you know, like, things being sprayed in the sky. We have glyphosate, which we know stays in the genetic system for up to 10 decades forward. It's a problem, right? We have all these things. And, you know, I think it's, you know, it's an interesting perspective. Um, I think, Meg, you know, both, you know, as people who were like, wow, we're taking care of our clients, we're taking care of your future babies, but I'm also 25 years younger than you. And I recognize that my... um, my future clients are going to be all these children who are bombarded with these with these chemicals. And I think the number one thing I hear is, well, it's too expensive. Everything is too expensive to like upgrade. And I'm like, if everybody upgraded 
just upgraded a little bit and said, no, we just say, no, we're not going to use this stuff. Those products are going to disappear and those ones are not going to be as expensive, right? And it's like, it is, well, you know, we, We've seen that already. Um, I would sorry, say it's ahead. not paying. Sorry, guys, yeah. you could just cut, oh, no, cut you're this fine. part out, but uh, go ahead. Sorry, finish your thought. Um, but, you know, it's really all of us saying, I'm not play- paying and playing into the sick care system any longer, you know, and that's, and that is part of sick care. You know what I mean? It's like, we're bombarding your system, which is making you sick and toxic, right? Which then gives money later on back into the sick care system. And it's like well, this revolving door. But Cheryl, um, you know, sometimes what I do, Cheryl, if I, if I can just interject, one of the reasons I do testing is because when people see these levels, they're like, oh, makes a big difference when you're seeing super elevated glyphosate. I just want to touch on something. I said I had a woman that came back to me. She was having heavy bleeding. We did testing. She couldn't lose weight. Her heavy metals were off the charts. Heavy metals can be a contributor to insulin resistance. So that's why with PCOS, yes, we have to look at blood sugar, but we have to look at these other triggers that are involved in... um, the cascade of disruption in one's body contributing to infertility, PCOS or PCOS with infertility. And I agree with you. It's really not that much more money. If you really think about how much money we spend on things. Yeah, it's all relative. It's all relative. You're talking lifelong. It's like, well, I don't want to spend this right now. Well, you then you're taking care of yourself now and your family so they don't have issues. How many kids are on Adderall? How many children and adults have been diagnosed with ADHD? Hmm. Yeah, we, we've had this conversation I mean, on, on this podcast before. It's sort of like the chicken or the egg, right? And yeah. we don't, we, you know, Adderall, the pill, I mean, you know, even blood yeah. pressure medication, it's all just trying to deal with this the moment symptom. and yeah. not actually punting the football down the down the field yeah. you know f- yeah. 25 like even 25 or 30 yards much less yeah. 50 and i think yeah i mean you know meg i i'm i what i try to bring into this conversation a lot is just that that practical day-to-day level. I'm feeding people every day who are busy working parents. I'm I'm actually working with people who have lower incomes and have, have families and are single moms and are just like, like, it's real, right? We don't, there isn't a lot yeah. of cash in the pot. There is a lot of, of, of inflation. There is, you know, we have to choose our battles we, every we day. Have, yes. And yes. And, but I've got to tell you, we have to avoid these chemicals. Agreed. I also wanted to reiterate. Yeah. So how do you, I just want to talk like, you know, real practical actually right now. So let's think about. Then go online and find, then make product, get get essential oils and make products that you at home. There are a lot of clean detergents that are inexpensive. Go to the farmer's market. Cruciferous vegetables. You know, I say to people, when you buy leafy vegetables, Make sure they are organic because those are the ones that are sprayed a lot. Of course, yeah, uh, and, yeah, and berries and, 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 and apples and, and, and yeah, lots of and fruit. you know, and but if you have family members, fermented foods. I mean, hello, Cheryl, right? Yeah. Mother Nature's pro and prebiotic, and I mean, it's so important. 
We are living in an age where there is a war going on, and that war is impacting this generation and future generations of kids, and we have to make certain choices. Yeah. So I don't know how to say, we have to figure out how to minimize the exposure. Yeah. And you can do it on a budget, you're just going to have to take a deep dive. And I'm not trying to be so... I, I don't know what, you know, it's hard to to say anything else, right? I mean, Cheryl, what do you think? Well, I think there's a I think there's a lot going on there. And just to echo, I think, some of Nancy's concerns also, you know, we bombard populations of people with yes. crap food. They live in yeah. food deserts. Um, you know, but I also think there is a lot in the ether. That's happening. Yeah. That is very exciting. I mean, more and more community I was just gardens say that and community farmers gardens, markets are absolutely. accepting EBTs. Yeah. You know, even Aldi, mm-hmm. which is pretty cheap, has a certain amount of organic yeah. food. We Trader have Trader Joe's. Joe's. Absolutely. You know what I mean? There's some options. Um, but also, um, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of um, James Maskell, mm-hmm. but the Heal community. And, you know, there's a lot of people, myself included, who are trying to figure out cost-effective ways to group coach, to bring group programming, to bring functional education, to bring change, to bring, um, you know, education on toxins and various things to make things more accessible and adaptable. I recognize that not everybody can afford to work with me privately. You know, with that, it's like education is empowerment. And it's like, you know, this, we have to get more creative, I think, for everybody, you know, when you know something, you know something. When you don't, you don't. Um, but bring it back. And so it's like, how do we bring programs into maybe schools that are involving chemicals so that girls starting at younger ages are not just slathering themselves in aluminum-based, you know, deodorant and poorly made, um, you know, tampons and things that are also affecting their cycles, you know? And same thing for boys. And, you know, like, there's this bigger thing, you know, and it's like, how do we start addressing that younger, you know, um, generation and older generation, but so that we can make change. And it really does come back to that conversation of PCOS and hormones and crap foods and toxins and stress and, you know, what are the things we can do? But I know there's also just general basic magical things that we can do, Meg. So I would love to hear more about like, what are some solutions? What are some of the things that we do? What's on your plate? And what I say to women you're um, looking at what you're eating and having a diet that is more low-carb-based, maybe 20%. So when I work with clients, I want every single meal to have lean protein. And I'm looking at, I'm talking animal and and fish a lot of, um, but I feel that animal protein, grass-fed beef, and obviously pastured chicken and turkey, these... Protein is essential. It's the, those um, branch chain amino acids that come from protein is what's going to help build and support healthy hormones. It's, um, it's going to stabilize your blood sugar. It's going to help you develop lean mass. It's going to help you support keeping lean mass and um, having cruciferous vegetables. Vegetables that are cruciferous vegetables are high in end all three carbonyl, which converts to DIM. What does DIM do? It helps us detox estrogens and testosterone. Um, I believe that, and then carbs, I really like to minimize grain. 
We should be looking at more starchy orange veggies or, or like beets and sweet potato and squash. I don't want to demonize carbs, but I would say to anyone that's got PCOS, cut out processed foods, cut out the chips, cut out the bread, you know, look to a garden. Think if you were living on a farm, what would be the things you would eat? You'd go out to the garden and you'd get some green leafy vegetables and you'd get some broccoli. And maybe from Joey, the the, the butcher, you're going to get some grass-fed beef. I'm exaggerating here. And you're going to pick out some tubers. You're going to pick out some root vegetables. And you're going to use healthy fats. Healthy fats do not make you fat. They stabilize your blood sugar. They can help you lean out. So it's eating whole food. And, and that's what I do with people. I teach them how to eat fermented foods. But a lot of the women that come to see me, they have gas, they have bloat, they have parasites, they have SIBO. I do stool testing. I get a good analysis of, are they clearing estrogens? I can see that by elevated levels of beta-glucuronidase. I want to see, are they deficient in certain things that is compromising the, the integrity of the, of the gut lining that is increasing the circulation of estrogens back throughout the system. But I have to do testing. I do, have, I do testing for heavy metals, mycotoxins, and chemicals. I want to see what's going on. And, and then I create protocols to address this. But I feel that in the long run, once women can see this, and I, I set up programs for them. And I'm not just doing this to have people come to see me. They can. I, I mean, I would love that. But we have to clean up the gut. We have to reestablish hormone signaling and insulin signaling. And if you don't clean up the gut, you're not. You're going to have. You're still going to have crappy insulin signaling. Because a lot of times I, I see people. Let's just clean up the diet. Well, if you're not digesting your food and you have an overgrowth of bacteria in the gut, and if you don't have the right microbiome that supports insulin signaling, then it's going to be a real challenge. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. We actually started you know? our, our first uh, round of, of episodes for this podcast um, to actually explain like a multiple series on just explaining digestion. So for those of you guys who haven't checked that out or are new to peeling the onion, please go back and look that up. It'll help you understand what Meg is sort of outlining here, which is that basically it is a cascade effect. And some of the, the symptoms that we're just talking about now, the culmination of all of these symptoms leading yeah. into PCOS and some of the other, the cystic acne and the obesity and the challenges with, with thyroid and all the things that come with endocrine disruption um, is is just kind of the peak of the you know iceberg, as they say, and that there's a whole layer of stuff that's going down underneath it. And Meg, what I what I'm hearing you saying, which I think is awesome, is that you know I can imagine this feels really overwhelming that a lot of women don't even want yeah. to deal with this or even think about it. Like, let's just pop mm -hmm. the birth control pill. I need it anyway. I don't want to get pregnant in my 20s or when I'm in my right. teens and 20s and even early 30s. Um, and so I might as well just like you know kill two birds with one stone or feed two birds with one scone, as they say. But um, the idea of like being able to uh, use that as a measure of dealing with symptoms. And then when we try to have a baby, it's painful, it's scary, it's overwhelming. It feels like having to reverse everything that, that you're used to doing and the shame spiral, right? Of thinking, I'm an educated woman. 
I know I, I should have known better than this. Why am I faced with all this stuff? And what I think is really, I'm hearing you say, which is so, you know, encouraging is that, you know, it is reversible and that, yeah. you know, we can, we can absolutely, um, with support and assistance, um, uh, it isn't a huge uphill climb, um, not for everybody, but, I wanted to also, I want to say real quick before we jump in, I think, mm-hmm. you know, the thing that I said so talking about punting the football down 50 yards, it's like, you know, we are worried about all these kids right now, right? I mean, mm-hmm. kids who were born to, with all these exposures, but I want to right. say, you know, something is really valuable and I, and I can speak from my own experience of struggling to get pregnant. And, you know, my daughter, Lucia, was born through IVF. The... um you know, the benefit of that and my four-year battle of trying to conceive her, you know, I had to take deep dives into figuring out what was going on and 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 educate myself. That was mm-hmm. my path. That was my choice to do that and to, you know, but it makes me, it's sort of like, what's the good out of the, out of the struggle? What are the gems out of this? And I'm just hoping that all of us women who have had to, re- to take a deep dive and look and who birth baby girls... Um, or started to take some of this at heart and understand that like, hey, you know, <laughs> there are, we have to make different choices than our mothers made for us, than we made for ourselves and start to educate ourselves. So um, can can I share one thing? I Because yeah. I always say to women uh, that I work with, I want you to lean in mm-hmm. and leaning is difficult. Yes. My background and the reason that I work with women I had a terrible eating disorder in my teens and 20s. I was anorexic and bulimic. I was a fucking mess. Mm -hmm. And I went to, uh, I called up my primary one day and I said, John, I need your help. I said, I'm bulimic. And he said, Meg, I'm so proud of you. You took the first step in healing. And he Mm -hmm. put me in touch with a therapist. And I worked with a functional medicine doc. This is back early 80s. Right. But, and and my therapist and nutritionist, but it was all about, I had, they didn't fix me. They helped to heal me, but I had to lean in and I trusted that. And it was fucking scary to make such radical changes in my life. And um, so when I say to women that are on a PCOS program and they're making changes, I understand what that means. I had to learn how to eat again, feel good about nurturing myself, to sit with what I was feeling, to make changes that were uncomfortable. Discomfort to me means when we're uncomfortable with something, it means we're on the verge of change Mm, because it's the uncertainty that scares the shit out of us Mm -hmm. because we don't know we're not in control. But actually, we kind of, if we lean into it, and you lean into making new changes. What you did in the past, you did in the past. So now moms and young women, you can make different choices. Yeah. Yeah. Because we are living in a different world than our parents lived in and our great parents, grandparents yeah. lived in. And we have to accommodate these changes in our environment at home and how we're eating. And again, you know, community gardens, farmers markets, planting stuff in the backyard. We can figure it out. We got Trader Joe's and all these great places. We can do it. We can do it, but we have to lean in. And then we get to give birth to a new version of who we are. Yeah. I I thought in my, you know, while I was going through 
trying to get pregnant and fertility issues, um, including fibroids, including the whole mm. whole run of gamut mm-hmm. of various things that popped up. I was like, oh, this is just a one-off. It's just it's just my bad luck, right? This is just the, mm. the hand I've been dealt. And mm-hmm. and initially, um, mm-hmm. and I didn't really fully understand like the larger systemic problem. And I think you know the importance of this conversation and the work that you're doing and the work the work that Cheryl's doing and you know the work that so many other women that we admire in this field are doing is that you no, know, we need to have this bigger, bigger meta conversation is that um, we are giving birth both through our society and through our uterus um, to the sort of systemic um, endocrine issues that are really complicating things. So thank you, Meg. Thank you for educating us. And thank you for educating everybody else here. I think it's, it's critical. um, It is. And it's, um, and that's why working with a coach or a practitioner, we need guidance. We do. And then, I mean, our job is, you know, I want to help you so then you can kind of leave the nest and go out on your own and then you'll come back occasionally so we can keep you in that optimal place. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's really what that's really what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. I like to tell my clients, you can never have too much Mm. Oh, amen. And that is really what this comes down to. I love that. Meg, thank you for being with us. Um, guys, we have our um, our book club. It is up on our website. Uh, Meg, sure, sure. Okay. Give us some books. Tell us some things that we should be reading. I love, this is one of my favorite books. It's pretty tattered and torn. I used mm-hmm. to, uh, when I was in New York, I would keep this stocked and give it out to clients, but now I recommend it virtually. It's called Eating in the Light of the Moon. It's by uh, Anita Johnston. I know her personally. She is, this is a great book about how we can reestablish our relationship with food. It's how women can transform their relationship with food through myth, metaphor, and storytelling. I've recommended this book to hundreds, probably thousands of women now, because if you're struggling with eating, if you're struggling with an eating disorder, or just trying to nurture who you are, this Mm. is a beautiful book. Um, it's like, how do we discern between the physical and the emotional hunger in our lives? Mm. And this is fantastic. Yeah. Talk about getting to the root of an issue, right? Yeah. 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 That's good. That's a good one. Awesome. Cheryl, why don't you go ahead? Um, well, I'm, you know, it's funny, um, Meg and I were talking about our ultimate crush on Dr. Jolene Brighton earlier. <laughs> we um, love Jolene Brighton. <laughs> Jolene, um, Jolene, come to us. So, um, so I was just going to say, um, her first book, awesome. Beyond the Pill, is really fantastic. Mm-hmm. If you are somebody who is on birth control, considering birth control, coming off birth control, um, it is very um, well laid out, um, the pros and the cons. Um, and then also um, her new book, which I have not gotten to actually read yet, but it yeah, just yeah. came out. So we're going to give it, give her a shout out. It's called, Is This Normal? Meg got her copy and I'm just waiting for mine to arrive. Um, but we're excited um, about anything Jillian Brighton. So, and her blog yeah. is amazing. So there, you know, there, there are just such, uh, there are so many wonderful 
practitioners out there that are sharing such a plethora of information. And that's why these podcasts and I mean, I'm so blessed. Every day I learn something new and I get to share that. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Nancy, I do you have a book too? So I'm going to throw in Elisa Vitti's Woman Code. Perfect your cycle, oh, amplify mm-hmm. your fertility, supercharge your sex life, and become a power source. Elisa actually um, in released this book like many years ago. It now has a second book out called In the Flow. But she's created a wonderful platform. She she herself healed, healed herself from PCOS and talks quite a bit about that. So if you're out there and have heard anything about living life through the lens of your cycle, Elisa was one of the first ones to really bring that forward um, kind of into the mainstream. Um, but I what I love about this book, honestly, and I like to give it to young women, teenagers especially, is it breaks down your peers. Period. It talks about the and the, all the androgens that we have going through our body. It normalizes things. It's sort of like um, like, a, like a little period handbook. <laughs> so, and I think you know if you have a young woman, I think it'd be the perfect high school graduation gift that would come out of left field, but it would actually be a really great handbook for a woman entering college age times and sort of helping her understand um, how she can support her body. Um, and it's also, if you feel like you, you never got the education that you needed around your cycle, I think, and are trying to get pregnant or just get your libido back. Um, it's, it's an awesome book. So anyway, thank you, Meg, for coming. We can't, we can't thank you more. It's, it's really, you were reiterating the, and it did it right out of the gate when we started this conversation of how important it is to start peeling back the onion, um, that we have to get to the root cause of these issues. So. And please tell us, um, tell our viewers, I mean, our <laughs> listeners, I should say, <laughs> how can we, how can we find yeah. you? How can they can, maybe you can put this in people? show notes. Um, they can reach me at Meg All my contact information is there. Instagram, um, my podcast, I actually have a podcast coming out today, is Low Stomach Acid Making You Sick. Ooh. Foundation, right? Our guts. Yeah. And um, I have a program called the PCOS Revolution. So you can inquire about that through my website. And uh, I want to thank the both of you for having me here for such a delightful conversation. It was great. Yeah, thank you. Well, thanks uh, for all your gems. Um, and we will probably certainly want to have you back soon to keep talking about the site, our cycles and breaking absolutely. all of this yeah. information down. So thank you. We're looking You're forward welcome. to that. All right. Awesome. Well, guys, what do we say, Cheryl? Keep yeah. peeling it, baby. Keep, keep peeling. <laughs> all right. Bye, guys. Have a great one. Take care. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Peeling the Onion Podcast. If we've inspired you to take the next step in your healing journey, please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. You can also find us on Instagram and online at peelingtheonionpodcast.com. Music by Greg DeJazu and podcast production by Nova Media. Until next time, keep peeling the onion.